Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, Episode 10, with Reverend Charles Harrison. Uh, many of them had served a significant number of years in prison. Some were in and out of prison. And when they gave their life to Jesus Christ, you know, um, God transformed their life. They, they had a passion to go back into the community to help clean up what they once messed up. This is Andy Kinsey of Grace United Methodist Church in Franklin, Indiana, and you're listening to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. believes that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The Hoosier United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and people making a difference in United Methodist Churches in Indiana. And now, here's Brad. Hello, hello, hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. I am Brad. I'm so glad that you have chosen to lend us your ears today as we have another episode of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast where we look to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church in Indiana and raise up our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world and give you some great stories about the churches and the people in our annual conference and to give you some practical tools and helps that can help you and your local church to fulfill your mission in your community. And I'm particularly delighted today to have a great old friend of mine, uh, Reverend Charles Harrison, who's the uh, senior pastor at the Barnes United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Charles and I actually go back to the same hometown. We're both from Jeffersonville, Indiana. He's uh, very well known, his family very well known in the community. He was a part of the Wesley United Methodist Church in Jeffersonville. And my uh, dad for several years was the pastor at Cook Memorial United Methodist Church in Jeffersonville. And we both are Jeffersonville High School graduates. But our most important uh, opportunity today was to get reacquainted with one another and to uh, share a little bit about the life and ministry and things that are going on with uh, with Charles and his church at Barnes United Methodist Church and in the mission and ministries that are happening in his community, which is in the urban area, in the inner city of the city of Indianapolis, a high crime area, lots of things going on. And uh, Charles and his church are involved with things such as the Ten Point Coalition, which has many different aspects to its uh, mission. One of the primary things is to help to, uh, to be an advocate for children and youth against violence in their communities. They stand in the gap against Against violence, and among the things that they do is to provide these uh, faith walks, which walks the streets of Indianapolis to provide a uh, a uh, relational peace between the community and the police and other. Uh, other parts of the community and to uh, provide a buffer. They do stand in the gap and Charles tells some amazing story today in our conversation about prayer and the power of prayer, especially in terms of how that is a means to uh, just stand up against the chaos when a murder has happened. It's pretty dramatic stuff. He talks a little bit about his family and about the important decision he had to make about the opportunity to run for the office of the mayor of Indianapolis. And he talks a little bit about the process that he went through in making the decision uh, regarding that opportunity. He talks a little bit about fishing as well. We had a great conversation. Let's get into the interview right now. 
and welcome again to the podcast. This is Brad Miller, and our special guest today is Reverend Charles Harrison of the Barnes United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Charles is an old friend. We actually are from the same hometown, the same high school, Jeffersonville High School. So we're both Jeffersonville High School Red Devils, but he was much more an athlete than I ever was. I played some football there, but he did a lot more than I did. <laughs> so, uh, for, but Charles, welcome to the podcast. Today. Well, thank you, Brad, for having me. Well, great. Glad to, we're super glad to have you on the podcast today. And uh, you've been involved with ministry for a long time, and you're in, at the Barnes United Methodist Church in the, in the urban area of Indianapolis. But can you tell us a little bit about your faith journey, just a word or two about it? What got you in the ministry in the first place and how you arrived here at, here at Barnes? Well, I started out uh, in my journey uh, uh, when I was 17 years old, and uh, I felt the call into ministry uh, at a very young age, Um, and uh, uh, I started pursuing it because I really felt that God had a a call on my life. it, it was affirmed in, in many different ways because, you know, when you're young and, and, and you get a call like that, okay. uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a life-changing experience, but you, you're not for sure you want to make that life-change experience uh, at that age because uh, part of it was I felt like I was having to give up a whole lot. <laughs> you know, okay. when you're 17 years old and, and uh, uh, I was an athlete um, and uh, I really wanted to pursue a college and possibly professional career in either football or baseball. Um, you know, ministry was certainly um, challenging for me at that age and, and making a decision that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say so yes to God. You giving up was a possible career in athletics. I did. I, did. I, I, felt, I felt like it was because I, I felt like I was uh, um, good enough to possibly, uh, particularly in baseball, um, play professionally, and, and I felt like I was going to have to give up a lot. Okay. Uh, but but I eventually I did say yes to it um, and pursued, uh, you know, my calling. And, what and, sort of uh, influences at that point that influenced you to pursue this calling? Well, I think the, I think the one life-changing experience that really uh, kind of helped me move more toward God was um, the, the, certainly the killing of my brother. Okay. Uh, my brother's death in uh, um, the mid-70s certainly played a significant role in my life, and I, I didn't want to end up like uh, my brother Jr., um, you know, I felt like that some of the influences in my life was was kind of leading me in that direction. Um, when you're kind of out there hanging out in the streets, um, and one night I was at a Bible study class, and it was a young lady I was dating, and um, I kind of sit in the Bible study class, and um, they were talking about if you said yes to God and, and what what God could do for you in your life, and um, that night, as I was walking home, uh, you know, uh, probably for the first time in my life, I really started praying right. and said to God, you know, God, I don't want to end up like my brother. I don't want to um, uh, end up doing something different, being a, a good person. I wanted my life to be better 
than how my older brother's life turned out. And about how old were you when your brother was killed? I was about I was about fifteen years old. He was older than you. He was older than me. It he was, was twenty. Circumstance. Yeah, my brother was uh, um, uh, killed in Louisville, Kentucky, by gun violence, um, and uh, my brother was, you know, kind of out there in the streets, you know, involved in in um, um, the criminal activity of drug trafficking, um, and uh, some of the people that he was involved with that uh, enterprise uh, ended up killing him. So, so certainly that that uh, uh, shaped my life and and uh, so, some powerful drama there. Yeah, it was. It, it was impact you, and I'm sure you've seen that in your ministry as well. Yes, how, yes. How people can make decisions. Sometimes they go in a wrong direction. Yeah, that's like true. It happens. That's sometimes, true. like happened to you, you you took a turn towards a, a life of, of ministry. Yes, and, and and I think for me, I, I think all of the the, the teaching. Uh, growing up in the church at Wesley United Methodist Church in Jeffersonville, I think there's a point in your life when, um, when you're about to, 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 you know, fall off the cliff. Th- that remembrance of what you're being taught at home, what what you're being taught at school, I think really helped steer me, you know, down the right path. Where where others uh, who were similar to me. Um, took a different turn. Well, that, I guess that teaches us a little bit about the value of a local church, someone growing up in the church, even out of the circumstances you had tragically uh, in, with your brother, still that influence came into play during these critical moments. It did. It, it did. I, I, I think my, 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 my early uh, upbringing in the church uh, really played a significant role in it. And, and, I, and I think... Um, all of the influences uh, in my life at that early age from the, the people of Wesley United Methodist Church in Jeffersonville certainly uh, also helped shape and make me into the person that I am today. And at least some of that I would assume, and you tell me, would have some impact on your your uh, mission and your ministry here at Barnes in terms of the young people and other people that you are ministry to here? Well, well, certainly, certainly. There's no doubt that what happened to me uh, in in my early years of my life has has shaped, uh, you know, the ministry here at Barnes. And, and, uh, you know, I've been blessed to to be uh, at this congregation for uh, about 22 and a half years. Um, I think all of the ministries that um, we have developed over that time uh, has been geared toward children and youth. Okay. Um, uh, because uh, I believe that the church can have a tremendous transformative influence on our children and youth if we are willing to engage them and engage them uh, where they are. Uh, and uh, since it happened in my life, um, and, and I've seen it happen in other places across the country, th- that's the reason Barnes has taken this kind of outward, you know, ministry focus to, sure. to address the so, critical issues that so we're what facing. what are some of the ways that you are engaging the youth of this community 
uh, for the for the better for, for for the good to help enhance their lives. Well, I, I think the, I think what we're most known for is certainly what we do with uh, the Indianapolis Ten Point Coalition. I, I mean that that whole ministry um, that addresses um, the most at risk youth um, was really birthed out of out of Barnes. Um, a passion that Barnes Church had. Well, the, a, pa- a, pa- the, a, pa- a passion. Yeah, a pa- passion that Barnes Barnes had, and 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 we partnered with two other churches um, at that time, Northside New Era and Holy Angels Catholic Church, uh, but. We certainly had a passion uh, because as the church began to expand um, and do ministry in the neighborhood, um, we started touching the lives of people who at one time were involved in criminal activity in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Uh, many of them had served um, a significant number of years in prison. Some were in and out of prison. And when they gave their life to Jesus Christ and, and uh, you know, uh, God transformed their life. They they had a passion uh, to go back into the community to help clean up what they once messed up. So, so when 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 God placed that that vision in me, um, and we started to pursue it, it seemed like God had the other pieces already in place. You know, within the church, within the community, and we were able to launch this so ministry. Broken people, who people had yes. really. Let's face it, messed up lives. Yes. Came forward and were part of the church or part of the community somehow or another, and partnered with you because they had a passion for the cho- for the children and youth of the community. Is that yes? That's, that's a fair assessment. Yes. Yes. Your your leadership and leadership of the church, then in coordination with the Ten Point Coalition, has been making an inroads and an impact in the community. Yes. Yes. Because the church sits in um, located in one of the worst neighborhoods, not just in Indianapolis, but in the country. Uh, so when you look at per capita, um, Indianapolis, uh, this unwind neighborhood in Indianapolis was ranked in the top 10. So we were ranked in the top 10 when it came to violent homicides, when it came to non-fatal shootings, and when it came to police runs. So if your church is located in that kind of environment, then, um, you know, if the church uh, wanted to, um, you know, make an impact on the community, we had to address the problem of youth violence. And that's what we did um, as a congregation. We launched out and began to address that issue, focusing on um, kids that were the most at risk, who were part of gangs, who were part of neighborhood cliques, and who were drug runners for drug dealers. Um, Those were the kids that we targeted uh, back in 1998 uh, uh, when we started formulating this, and then certainly when we kicked it off in 99. uh, Yeah, that's when it started. We started in January 1999. And the 10-Point Coalition, just a slight bit of background, is a program that's initiated to help engage the church into the community. Is that right? Well, yes. The focus of the Indianapolis 10-Point Coalition, it has it has three primary goals. One okay. is to save our children from violence. Um, two is to provide job opportunities for them. And three is to help improve their literacy skills. Um, so what 10-Point is most known for is uh, goal number one, saving our children from violence. That's when we send uh, what we call faith patrol teams 
into neighborhoods during the hours that the underground economy uh, is functioning at its highest, uh, where you see the most criminal activity, which is normally between the the, the hours of, of 10 p.m. and probably 3 o'clock in the morning, right. 3, 3 a.m. So we were sending uh, members of our churches into these neighborhoods. And this was a partnership with other churches. This was a well. partnership with other churches because as we as we began to grow 10 Point, it moved from three churches to about 20 churches. Um, so we were taking members from 20 different churches uh, who had volunteered, had committed themselves to do this ministry, we were deploying them in these neighborhoods to engage um, that target group of gangs uh, and, and youth that were part of youth neighborhood cliques and who were involved in criminal activity, drug trafficking, and even drug dealing. So how did that look, Charles? Did a team, they would literally walk the streets? Uh, what, uh, we, we, what, what did they do, well, these teams? Well, we would get intel from the police department, so we would know exactly where the police were having their highest police run, so that if 29th and MLK was an area, um, we would send a team... Um, Anywhere from Which, just by way of context, is a neighborhood not far from your church here. Well, th- this one, but we do go in other areas. Okay, but, nice. but, but, uh, um, 29th MRK is, you know, right around the corner from Barnes. So we would send a team of two to five individuals. Their primary responsibility was to build relationships with, uh, the people on the streets um, and to get to know them uh, because building relationships was important and uh, begin to build building trust because we had to build trust uh, in the neighborhood so that then people would feel comfortable in confiding with us uh, and then the other part of it was um, um, we were then able to talk to people who were involved in criminal activity about alternatives. Mm. Okay, one of the alternatives is making better choices in life. Okay, and and did you provide some sort of a training for this? Or yes, for the, for the people okay. for the people who are, are are volunteers and are full-time employees, they are trained how to do what we call street engagement. Okay, okay, because they meet. There's a lot of different challenges out there on the street, you know. Um, and once you start building trust, you start hearing a lot of things. Normally, you hear who may be in conflict with one another, who's selling drugs. Um, um, who may have been involved in some kind of criminal act, whether it be a shooting or a homicide. Those are the kind of things that normally we would deal with, particularly in dealing with um, street conflicts. Um, we had to teach um, our street outreach workers and our volunteers uh, how to deal with conflicts on the street, okay? So they did a whole training on, you know, how do we help resolve conflicts on the street so that we become peacemakers and not the police, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a, that's that a, that's a portion of the distinction that, that, yeah. we're, that we're peacemakers, we're not the police, um, we're there so to try to bring peace. you authority to arrest or no. anything along no. that line? No, 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 okay. no. We, it was clear um, that so it we, we are the police. Than a neighborhood watch thing. It is it more of a neighborhood relationship building. Yeah, yeah. Is that a fair way? Well, of well we're we're the we're the church, and.
and 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 people in these neighborhoods understand that when Ten Point comes out, they're the church, um, and they're out here trying to help us do better and get our lives on the right track. Okay. So was there also some elements you mentioned about uh, helping people make good decisions? Yes. Was there any opportunities then to connect the folks you encountered in the street to some sort of a training or opportunities for uh, for uh, uh, decision-making uh, tools, for instance? Well, what we do, we funnel people to different um, um social service groups, uh, church groups, neighborhood groups that may provide, provide what they, are, they need. So, so yes. we are aware of other programs in the neighborhood. So teams that, that uh, patrol the Crown Hill area, they are aware of what's going on in Crown Hill. Or they, uh, teams in the Mapleton Fall Creek area are aware of what's going on uh, in that area on the west side or Unwa or Hallville. So that when, when we encounter people on the street, if someone needs job training, we know where to send them. If someone uh, needs a job, we know where to send them. If someone needs housing, if someone needs uh, legal services, you know, we need to know where to send them. Someone who may have a substance abuse problem, we know where to send them. In some cases, those are the local churches who are stepping forward with those services. Some local churches. For instance, you have a, a recreation ministry. Yeah, we have a recreation ministry here. Um, you know, uh, youth that needs mentoring. Um, we know where to send them. Sometimes we encounter parents who talk about uh, their children's academics. We know the churches that are providing, you know, after-school tutorial programs, um, and we try to uh, match those children up. Youth enrichment, children enrichment program. This also led you to some connection with social service agencies, yes. as well as the schools, the school, and, uh, the school, the we, healthcare facilities. We, we so do it all. We we do it all. We work with Methodist, Eskenazi. You know, um, you, you know, um, the uh, IPS. I assume substance abuse. Substance abuse. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. Midtown. You know, we work with everyone, and, and they are aware, and and they normally have a list with them, so they kind of know, you know, um, according to the need. This is where we need to send so someone. So like a real collaboration, a real partnership yep. is happening between church and community. It, yes, has to. And has local to. government yes. and other services. Yeah, yeah, has to. As well as the police. As well as the police. The the other piece that that normally happens out there is we get a lot of requests for prayer Mm. which then leads to conversations about faith yes okay we don't initiate that Um, normally it is initiated by them on the street Um, we have um, baptized several people um, from um, um uh, our encounter with them and connected them with different churches in the neighborhoods. Wow. You know, that was uh, an incredible experience. Well, it is an incredible experience. You know, because some people say, "Well, we know we're doing wrong, Reverend. Uh, would y'all pray for us?" Okay. You know, you know, and and we 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 do a lot of that, which leads to uh, people. I want to know about God, or they—they they may say, you know, I've never that been to be church in my strengthening experience for your people as well. Well, well, it is, it is, it, it really is, it really is, because um, they, they serve in a variety of capacities out there, and and certainly uh, for all of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, um, there are plenty of opportunities of discipleship out there. Well, it also seems to me that this is some opportunities. Um, 
to engage people on the deepest levels, the yes, spiritual levels, yes, yes. which is if there's going to be any really true healing and right, wholeness take right, place, right. it you know there's only so much we can do right. by uh, providing a meal right, and right. Uh, social services, this type of thing. That's part of it, right. but you got to get to the deeper matter, the, the soulful matters, and that sounds like what you're doing. I want to also mention, or want you to say a word about you mentioned prayer, and I'm just aware that a part of the prayer ministry that your group does is when things have gone really bad when there is a shooting and a death occurs which happens too often that many times your your team has been there at the locations of where these disasters have happened and been at a prayer vigil or prayer time can you say a word about that experience and how that plays out well what most people um are probably familiar with, with Ten Point and probably see us the most on TV is, is certainly at a homicide scene. And uh, normally those are very chaotic times. Um, um, there normally is a lot of anger, a lot of anger there at the scene. Um, you know, and, and it's understandable. Your loved one is dead. Um, uh, you're dealing with a whole lot of emotions. Ten point normally is is called to those homicide scenes, and we send to those scenes uh, what we call our rapid response team, which is made up of pastors and laity. Okay. And uh, a part of what we do at that scene is we try to provide a time of uh, prayer. Um, you know, because it helps calm everybody down. Um, there was a. Um, um, a situation that happened at Martin University, a street right over from Martin University. Uh, a young man was taken into custody, but before the police could get him um, in, in, into handcuffs, he had swallowed uh, some cocaine. Oh, okay. It ended up um, creating an emer- a health emergency. Um, they had to call the paramedics there, uh, but uh, before they could get there, the young man died. Um, to the community, the police had killed him. Okay, you know, they, you know, they, this was this was an act of the police killing uh, what they said was another a black male. Uh, Ten Point gets called in there. By that time, it is chaotic. Several hundred people there. What we ended up doing is, as, as trained pastors, we got um, uh, got to the mother. Um, the mother was not very cooperative at first. Um, I asked her who her pastor was. Um, she told me I called her pastor. Her pastor talked to her. Um, when the pastor finished talking to her, she had calmed down a little bit. She was more cooperative. And I, we ended up asking her, could we have a word of prayer with her out there at the homicide scene? And she said, yes. I said, we need one other favor. We need you to help us gather this large crowd that is out here, family members and friends, grieving over your son's death. Must have been chaotic. It was. It was chaotic. It was chaotic. On one side, you had... Um, um, family members and friends who were ready uh, to go at the police. On the other side, uh, police had uh, called in uh, additional units. Okay. Um, wow. They, yeah, yeah. So, so you had maybe fifty police on one side, several hundred the people. Drawn, the yeah. lines were drawn, and 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 ten point in the church was in the middle of both of them. Okay, we were literally in the middle standing of them, standing in the gap. We were literally in the middle of them, and. The police wanted us to move out of the way so that they could disperse the crowd. I said to the sergeant, 
give us some time to calm them down, and we want to have a word of prayer. We gathered this large crowd of several hundred people. Um, I started praying. Other pastors prayed. We probably prayed for about 25 minutes. We prayed for everything. We prayed for everything that we could think of. Uh, And at the end of that prayer, there was a calm that had come over the crowd. The crowd had calmed down. When the crowd calmed down, it calmed the police down. I was then able to have a conversation with the mother um, about what had happened and made some promises to her that we would get the chief of police out there first thing in the morning to meet with the family about their concerns about what happened to their son. Uh, And in doing that, the mother and and her family members helped disperse the crowd. Transformation took place. Yes, yes, yes. It happened because the power of prayer and the power of your presence to biblically stand in the gap. You know, we say in our church, in the United Methodist Church as a whole, and here in Indiana, that our purpose, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ with the transformation of the world. Seems like you're seeing a manifestation of that. The church literally standing in the gap and lives being transformed. Yes. What could have been an incredibly it could have been a major disaster. Yes, yes. It it could have been it could have been before Ferguson, Ferguson, before Baltimore, Baltimore. But but it didn't happen. And that's part where I want to go with this. What you have shared here, that scenario, that scene is not all that unusual, is it? No, it's happened multiple times. And you and your team have been a part of situations in Baltimore and in Ferguson. And even as we have this interview in November of 2015, there's situations going on in Chicago with uh, violence trying to be averted for shootings and so on. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how that's evolved, where you have been involved now with Ferguson, Baltimore, other places, and how you have your influence has kind of grown from this place. Well, certainly, certainly, what we promote is the 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 power of the church. Yes, Uh, and you know our faith in Christ. You know, we believe that. the church still has significant influence in the community if we would exercise it. Mm. And and the church normally doesn't exercise the influence that it really has uh, in these communities. So what we try to do is teach uh, pastors and churches how to exercise that influence in the community. We, we Next week, we're going to be calling uh, here in Indianapolis a press conference where we're galvanizing the church to begin to deal with something that, um, you know, uh, cities all across the country are struggling with, and that is breaking the code of silence, you know, uh, uh, where people see things that that happen, they see homicides and criminal activity, but nobody will say anything. Well, most of these individuals that are involved in those these criminal acts have family members that belong to somebody's church. Yeah, Yeah, and and, and what we're saying is that if we can galvanize the faith community and and all of us stand together as one and begin to address these critical issues in our community, we believe that we can bring about um, uh, 
transformative power uh, into those situations where people can experience the love and the grace and the mercy, uh, you know, of, 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 of Jesus Christ in their life uh, that, that, that brings about change and transformation. Um, we went to Ferguson uh, with that message um, to both um, the local pastors and the city officials. Um, when we went there, I think some of the changes that occurred with the city officials occurred because of a meeting that they had with the Indianapolis Ten Point Coalition wow. because they had no um, a solid relationship with any of the faith leaders in Ferguson. Yeah, it goes back to their relationship. So because we had built trust with city officials in Indianapolis, they made a phone call to Ferguson and said, these are good people. These are good, you know, godly people uh, who you can trust. They trusted us, and we were able to lay out for them a plan to help address um, the issues that they were facing in Ferguson. And then on the other side, we were able to talk to our colleagues about how you handle this in a way that brings God glory. And just um, results, you see the results. What I'm getting at here is that although we certainly are not without our problems in Indianapolis, right. we have not seen an absolute blow-up like in Ferguson right. and Baltimore right. and some other places. Right, right. And I attribute that at least to the power of the Holy Spirit working through movements like the Ten Point yes, Coalition yes. And, and your ministry here at Barnes and others, and, and also the relationship that you've built, not only with the folks on the street, but with the police. With the police, yes. With the mayor's office, yes. with the governor's office, yes. and so on. Can you say a word about I know you've had ongoing relationships with the police and with the mayor's office, even the governor's office. Uh, how has that gone? How has your relationship grown and developed with with the uh, with public servants? Well, it, that that has gone that has gone. I say fairly well over the years. That that is key because th- there are discussions that need to be had that sometimes don't need to be aired publicly. And, and we have been able to have very frank conversations with um, uh, the mayor, the chief of police, the director of public safety, and the command staff of IMPD, and, and most importantly, the FOP and the rank and file, because you can have a conversation with the command staff. Those are the guys. Those, yeah, those are the yeah. Those are the guys on the street. Yeah, right? but but the rank and file are the guys and, and women on the street. Right. And and they are key. They are key. And we were able to to talk to them um, in an honest way about these are the feelings on the street in the African American community concerning. The historical issues between police and and and, uh, and and the black community. The police, on the other hand, were able to share with us about their feelings about uh, leaders like myself, uh, pastors, and their frustrations with some of the things we say and what's going on in the community and the neighborhoods that they police. I thought that was powerful. I thought that was powerful when uh, we were able to basically not just talk at each other but to each other and together find common ground for the good of our city again relationship relationship building relationship building relationship building so so now so, so all here together it's, yes it's the church yes it is the it's the street folks yes the yes yes building relationships there it is the public servants both political and police and health care and so on all working together yes. to raise a greater good yes yes now 
Now, isn't that really, really cool when the church works that way? That's right. It really How is good. That? Yeah. That's Amen. Amen. How that process, Charles, um, out of the influence and out of the uh, uh, relationships that you built, there also became an opportunity there where you were at least were seriously considering a run to be the mayor of Indianapolis, and you eventually decided not to. And I take it that was a, a process for you, a bit of a spiritual process. Can you say a word about how that played out for you, especially in your decision of how you can make the most, do the most good? Well, the, the question that, that I struggled with was that how could I be of greater service to the community and 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 to um, the kingdom of God you know and and ultimately it, it was a, a kingdom question for me yes, you know um, what was God um, leading me in another direction to make a greater impact for the kingdom or um, did God want me to remain where I was as uh, the pastor of Barnes uh, United Methodist Church and the president of the Indianapolis Ten Point Coalition? Certainly there were a lot of people whispering in my ear, um, um, trying to get me to run for mayor and felt like I would be a good mayor, you know, because, you know, of my love and compassion, you know, for people and um, for, for this city. Ultimately, after a lot of prayer, because, you know, I decided to drop out of the race when my good friend, Deputy Mayor Olgen Williams, decided to run. Then he made a decision not to run. Then the groundswell of support, you know, and the drumbeat started beating again for me to run for mayor. But ultimately, there were several factors. One certainly was the influence of uh um, this congregation, um, um, the, the the church felt like that what we had started was not complete, and they felt like that that my role into completing uh, what they believe God's mission uh, and purpose for this church uh, was not yet done, and 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 that I needed to stay a little longer to see a few things through. Uh, but but I think the the most important thing was the discussion between me and my wife, uh, and 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 um, um, we had adopted two kids, and um, um, they were at the critical age that they didn't need their daddy, their father, not playing a significant role in their life. And my wife said to me, I don't want to raise these kids by myself. And she said, you know, you being the man, there was a there was a fear. There was a fear. There was a fear. She said, I know with all of the obligations you're going to have, you're going to be spending a lot of time away from home. And she said, these kids really need you in their life. Um, And part uh, of your discernment was listening to your wife. Listening to my wife. Listening to my wife. Any any smart man, you listen to your wife. Wow. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. And, and just, and just yeah. for uh, your children are they're 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 ten and and eight years old. Ten and eight. Ten and eight. So. Uh, so we, we, yeah, we prayed and we prayed and we asked God to lead us. Um, so uh, the morning before I had to make a decision, because I already had all the signatures to be on the ballot, all I had to say was yes. Um, it seemed like you had a lot of support. I 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 called the bishop up and and began sharing with the bishop what my my, my 
thoughts were, what me and my wife had talked about. Um, and, um, you know, Bishop said, whatever you decide to do, Charles, you know, I support it. Uh, but I ultimately told the bishop, Bishop, I believe that um, God is, is, is leading me to stay uh, in the local church. Um um, and uh, for me not to enter the race uh, to become mayor of Indianapolis. So um, I made that announcement um, the next morning that I would not be uh, 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 putting my name in the hat to run for mayor of Indianapolis. And, and, I, and I felt, I felt... Did you have a sense of peace about it? I did, I did. I felt, I felt at peace about it. I felt like a weight was lifted off of my, my shoulders. Um, and, and even today... I know that I made the right decision for for me and my family, and, and I believe where where God was leading me. I think the best kingdom decision um, for 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 the role that Charles was it, it plays in it was for me not to run for mayor and to re- remain doing the work that I'm doing in this city now. Well, yeah, God, and that was obviously an area of spiritual discernment. Right. That was affirmed. Yes. And by your sense of peace. Yes. Yes. What What are two other things, Charles? Part of the purpose of this podcast is to provide tools and inspiration to local church pastors and mm-hmm. lay leaders to help strengthen the connection, right? Both within the body and within the community. What kind of encouraging word would you might give to a pastor or a local church leader who is looking to make some inroads and impact into whatever issues are facing their community? I think a pastor has to, you know, really have a good sense of what the the DNA of his church is, you know, um, that um, for for um, me to take on the challenges um, that I have as uh, not just a pastor, as a community leader, you certainly has, have to have the support of your church. And you never get the support of everybody because there, there are some people in the church that don't see... Um, um, what what uh, you know the vision that Barnes has laid out you know is this outreach ministry to to try to bring healing to to a broken neighborhood they they don't see that as as, as our mission uh, but because I had a lot of conversations with a lot of uh, members and leaders of the church it helped me to get a sense you know uh, Brad that this is where God was leading the church that it was a firm not just what I felt God was leading uh, me to do, but uh, members of the church affirmed that. They affirmed that. um, And I think that's important because if God is really behind this, then um, God's going to provide the resources and God is going to pave the way for um, the local church to be engaged in that particular kind of ministry. So it was a lot of prayer. It was a lot of uh, consultation with leaders of the church uh, and community. Um, and, and I would advise any pastor to do that. It, it cannot just be, you, you, you know, your thing. Sure. You know, it has to be a God thing. And if it's a God thing, then it will be affirmed in many different ways to let you know this is really where 
God is leading me, and this is what our church is called to do as a part of the kingdom. Very helpful. Thank you for that. Well, just one more thing, Charles. One of the things I always like to ask our guests on the on the podcast is something about you personally. What is something that you enjoy doing or some fun fact about you that uh, maybe folks don't know about how you kind of spend some of your free time that you really enjoy? I really enjoy, and, and I, you know, I really enjoy uh, fishing. Really, I really enjoy fishing. I, I do. It, it is a, it is a, a time for me to get away uh, from, um, you know, the 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 everyday, uh, you know, responsibilities that I have as as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, and as a community leader. Uh, and I feel at peace, you know, out there fishing. I could fish all day, you know, and, and, and I really I really in, in enjoy that. And, and certainly, I, I really enjoy going to sporting events and stuff. I, I like that. Uh, so I, I try to spend as much time as I can, you know, getting away and, and doing that. And then the third thing, spending time with my children. Absolutely. It, it's just a blessing. Amen. Amen. Amen for that. Well, folks, uh, but Charles, if folks want to be in contact with you for, for some resources that you may provide, can they do that? And yes. So how can they do that? They can contact me uh, at my email address, uh, RevHarrison at AOL.com. Uh, and then or they can get a hold of me at Barnes United Methodist Church. Uh, and the number is 317-923-9197. Well, thanks for being with us today. Reverend Charles Harrison of the Barnes United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. do thank Reverend Charles Harrison of the Barnes United Methodist Church for being on the podcast with us. What a great story he has, don't you think? Uh, and a real inspiration about how a church like Barnes and a pastor with a real courage like Charles does and the other leaders in his church and his community can really indeed truly stand in the gap uh, against violence and against uh, destructive forces that are happening. It's a spiritual warfare thing, I believe. And uh, his church, Barnes, and, and, the, and Charles' leadership is a real... Uh, um, uh, great, inspiring story. And I hope that you'll take something from that and apply it to your local situation where you can be uh, stand in the gap in your community to be an advocate for uh, peace and for uh, productivity and for good things and to stand up against whatever social ills are happening in your community. So that's a, a great interview, and we and I certainly will put in our show notes some of the details how you can learn more from Charles and uh, his church if you'd like to gain some information there. At this time, uh, it's really my pleasure to have back with us for our Methodist Moments, Reverend Andy Kinsey of the Grace United Methodist Church in Franklin. He's going to share with us a little bit about uh, Wesley, John Wesley, and discipleship groups. Wesley wore many different hats. He was an evangelist, he was a teacher, he was an organizer, social worker. One of the things I think we lose sight of is how John Wesley was a spiritual director. He had a great sensitivity in helping people connect with Christ, and he did that, of course, in many different ways. He did that to begin in, in the beginning of his ministry as a field preacher, but then he devised small groups and helped people to uh, get acquainted with each other in these small groups and hold each other accountable. 
But one of the things we lose sight of is that he compiled his sermons, and he put these sermons in different volumes. But he did so in a, in a very unique way. His first volume really deals with how do people become Christian, and so he spends a lot of time talking about how grace moves in the heart, awakening a person to Christ. He then moves into, well, how do we live as a Christian, and what are the things we need to do to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ? He spends a great deal of time talking about that as well. But then he moves on to a third phase and talking about all the different kinds of circumstances that Christians find themselves in. And how do you deal with money? How do you deal with helping the poor? How do you deal with even dress? Um, He is constantly bringing things back to a practical standpoint. So he does that, I think, in a way that is in helping people understand the moving of the Spirit in their lives, but he's directing them as to what they can anticipate uh, when they follow Christ and when they get connected in the life of a, a church or in a community where they seek to live out their faith. It's an ongoing journey, and Wesley helps us in that journey. going to do it for this episode of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, episode number 10. We are so uh, just privileged that you have joined us for this episode. Our mission, as always, is to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church, and we hope that we can do that and be a means and a tools by which we can do that. But you can really be helpful to that process by spreading the good word about the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast in whatever means that you can. Uh, through your own newsletters, through your uh, websites and Facebook pages. But particularly, we would invite you to go to uh, to iTunes and find the podcast there. You just type in the search field, Hoosier United Methodist, and the podcast should pop up there. And then you uh, subscribe and rate and review. And that helps us a lot. You can always go to our website, which is HoosierUnitedMethodist.com, and our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash HoosierUnitedMethodist. Give us your comments and your in your uh, responses, and perhaps you have a story that would be good for us to tell on the Hoosier United Methodist podcast. We look forward to serving you again soon. We've got some other great interviews coming up on the Hoosier United Methodist podcast, and we invite you to, to stay tuned for those. Until next time, this is Pastor Brad Miller saying to you, God bless and continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Thank you for listening to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast community. Visit us on the web at HoosierUnitedMethodist.com and chat with other members at Facebook.com slash Hoosier United Methodist. Until next time, continue to make disciples and transform the world.